before we dive in, uh, anybody out there shopping for kids, I don't know, eight and under, eight and under, you got Christmas shopping for eight. Now, let me see you. Don't be shy. Don't be worn out. Don't be tired. Don't be scared right now. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they have no comprehension of money whatsoever. Isn't that true? It's obnoxious how, like, I asked my son, he's six, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't know. Let's start with a helicopter. I'm like, what? You like, like a toy one? He's like, no, but one small enough that could land in the backyard. No, like, we're not, we're not doing that. How about a real gun? No, you're six, and the last time you had a BB gun in your hands, it wound up pointed at my forehead. You're not having a real gun right now. He said, okay, fine. What about a motorcycle? But not the kind that goes on the street, the kind that goes on dirt, Dad. I, he watches them on YouTube, and they're doing all this stuff. And so I found myself this holiday season with this, with this phrase coming out of my mouth more often than not. When he's telling me about a helicopter or a real gun or all of these things, I find myself saying this, parents of, of 10 and under, if you're with me, listen, I, I find myself saying, buddy, I love you, but don't get your hopes up. Am I right? Man, pal, I love you. Don't get your hopes up. I don't think you're going to walk into the backyard and see a chopper in the backyard on Christmas, pal. Well, Santa can do anything, right? Uh, yeah, he can, but he's got to have permission from me because it's my house, and we're, we're going to figure that one. We're going to figure that one out, pal. But I, I find myself saying, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. But, but, and, and that may be true when it comes to Christmas gifts, and that may be true when it comes to shopping for 10 and under. But when we come together tonight, and when we wake up tomorrow morning, the exact opposite could not be true. We have more reason than ever before to get our hopes up. We have a reason to be excited in this place. I need more from a Christmas Eve. Yeah. We have reason to get your hopes up. You have reason to have all of the hope in the world. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. We have a hope that is beyond the world. We have every reason in the world tonight to have our hopes at an all-time high. Let me read to you why. It's in Luke 2, 8 through 9. This is the finale of our no vacancy season. We went from pre-birth to birth to now the announcement. Let me show you why we should have more hope than ever before tonight. It's in Luke 2, 8 through 20. It says that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Underline that if you have your Bible. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem. The original Greek sentence is born in Bethlehem and three words, there are three adjectives, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. They're all attributes of who God is. Here he's saying the message of Christmas, the message of the baby born, the message that we have to grasp a hold of is this. It's three words. Savior, our God saves. 
He sent Jesus to save. That is the message of of God becoming flesh and living among us is so that we could have a Savior. Number two is Messiah, or God keeps his promises. God promised the Messiah. The fact that he says the Messiah is the baby in the manger, it means that God keeps his promises. And then lastly, he says, Lord, that's the Greek word kyrios. It was the, it was the equivalent to Yahweh of the Hebrew language. So what he's saying to a first century Jewish listening group is he is saying, and God, not a rendering of God, but God himself is among you. So what's the message really quick of Christmas? And we got we to grasp this if we're going to walk through the rest of the passage. It is this, that we have a Savior who saves. We have a Savior who saves. He came to save. He moves God among man in the flesh to save. He is the Messiah. The promises of God answered. And He is Himself God. Equal with God. Verse 12. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Verse 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Verse 18. All who heard the shepherd's story We're astonished. We'll come back to that as well. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them what is happening in the lives of people. What is happening as they're encountering Christmas? What's going on with them? There, is a, there was an author in the 1920s. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. And she, yeah, right? Dorothy Sayers. She was, uh, she, was the first, she was a brilliant woman, not only a brilliant author, but a brilliant woman. She was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford. But by her own admission, she wasn't very attractive. She would say that often that she wasn't very attractive, but she was incredibly smart, right? It's got to count for something, right? Yes? Yeah. She was incredibly smart. She was a wonderful writer. Come on, lighten up. It's just a joke. <laughs> she said it herself. Um, but and anyway, in her writing, she wrote a series of crime novels. And in these crime novels, the uh, main character, I know I wrote it down here, uh, his name was Lord Peter Whimsey. And he was a detective. He was an amateur detective. He was really good looking. He was really strong. He had this integrity and character about him that really wanted to do the right thing all the time. But he lived his life troubled. He was always searching for something. He was always looking for something throughout the novels until about halfway through her novels, another character appears. And this character's name is Harriet. Harriet was one of the first women, ironically, to graduate from Oxford University. 
Harriet wasn't very attractive. She wasn't a very attractive character within the book, but hey, she was really smart and she was a wonderful writer. So Lord Peter Whimsey finds Harriet and runs into Harriet and they begin a relationship together and everything that Lord Peter Whimsey had been looking for, he found in this not so good looking but really smart, talented author in Harriet. And the stories of the novels conclude that Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet fall in love and they make the perfect couple and she fulfills everything that he wasn't finding before. When she was asked the question, uh, why did you decide to write these novels in this way? Here's what she said. She said, I loved the world that I created so much that I decided to write myself into it to complete it. She said, I loved the world that I created in my novels so much that I decided to write myself into it to complete it. That's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is this, that God loved you so much that God so loved the world. He loved the world that he created. He loved the people that he created so much that he recognized the only thing that could satisfy you was him writing himself into your story. So he wrote himself into your story by his son, Jesus, whom was born as a baby, who, was, who walked the face of the planet and died on a cross to save you of your sins. That is the story that God loved you so much that he wrote himself into your story. What happens when we encounter the truth of the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, when we encounter that truth, what happens in our life? That's Luke 2, 8 through 20. It's three things. I'll give them all three to you. Number one is this, when you encounter the reality of Christmas, when you encounter the truth that God wrote himself into your story because he recognized he was the only one who could fully satisfy the longings of your heart and the desires that you have, here's what happens. You have the assurance of joy. You have the absolute assurance and confidence of joy. If you are in here looking for joy, look no further than the truth of Christmas. It's Luke 2, 8 through 12. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. We just read this, guarding their flocks of sheep. They were what? Shepherds. Oh, sorry, I set you up. That was wrong. They were what? Shepherds. And they were what? They were guarding their sheep. You're right. I'm wrong. Verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded him. Catch this, they were horrified. They were terrified from it. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Listen, fear has no place in your Christmas this year. One, one person is in agreement with me. Fear has no place in your Christmas this year. Fear has no place in your Christmas this year. The response is, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Verse 12, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. This is such a cool addition to the story. The first people to encounter Jesus were shepherds. 
Let me read to you. I'll just tell you that shepherds were the scum of the earth. Shepherds were hated. Uh, nobody respected shepherds in this time. This is a writing from the Mishnah. It's a first century Jewish literature that is all about Jewish law at that time. So if you were a Jew, you read the Mishnah, and that was the law. That was the code of conduct. Here's what the Mishnah says about shepherds. It says, shepherds are incompetent. <laughs> Good luck if you're a shepherd. No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. It's pretty harsh, right? Someone's in a pit. Hey, are you a shepherd? Okay, better luck next time, right? Good. No brotherly love for you. Jeremiah in the 6th century wrote this about shepherds. He said, to buy wool, milk, or baby goat from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it was stolen property. Don't even get the benefit of the doubt. Don't buy from them. You can almost guarantee it's stolen. I got an uncle like that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't buy from them. It's stolen. It's fake. You don't want nothing to do with business with a shepherd. He also writes, shepherds could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted into court as witnesses. They were known as dirty, incompetent thieves. Yet who were the first people to experience God's glory? Who were the first people to come into contact with God's glory? We talked about this several weeks ago. God's glory is reserved for those who are humble enough to take the step to encounter him. And it doesn't matter if you are saint or shepherd, God's glory is for you. The revelation of Christmas is for you. So you could be in here and you could feel rejected, you could feel lowly, you could feel like you don't belong, you could feel like a shepherd, totally stereotyped, mistreated, and abused, yet the glory of Christmas is for you. The goodness of Christmas is for you. That's the message with the shepherds. It, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, let's, let's keep rolling. This, so then what happens is every time divinity encounters humanity, what do you have? Fear. What were they? They were terrified. They were horrified, right? Think of it. They're lowly shepherds. Nobody's ever treated them with respect. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And Luke 2, 9 through 10 says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. You ever catch your kids doing the wrong thing? For us, it's silence. That is the first giveaway. Come on, veteran parents, you know this. We were sitting the other day, and I looked at Anna, and I said, do you hear that? And she said, no. And I said, exactly. <laughs> Something's wrong in this house. And we went, I went into the bedroom, and I found my son on his hands and knees, and he was going through a bag of Christmas stuff and stocking stuffers and candy. And right when I saw him, and I told him not to go in there, and the second I saw him, I said, that's it. You're getting a spanking. And he says, Dad, can we talk about this? He starts, backing up. he starts backing up and taking cover. He's like, Dad, can we talk about this? Can we have a conversation? I said, we ain't talking about nothing. Spare the rod, you spoil the child. You're getting your butt whipped. And I said, come here. I'm whipping. And you know what he says now to me? This is, I, I can't believe it. Like, if you hear this come out of his mouth, uh, don't judge me. He's six. I'm the adult around here, right? He says, Dad, don't spank me. You're going to kill me. <laughs> I'm like, I may come close, but son, I'll never kill you, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just going gonna, gonna to let you, you know, say win. But, no, I mean, that's the shepherds. The shepherds are like this. God appears, and what do they do? We're dead. Great. 
it's over. Might as well be terrified. Might as well be horrified, right? God shows up in the form of one angel, and they're horrified. Yet what's the message? Great joy. Good news and great joy. Why can you have good news and great joy? Because God shows up, and when he does, he shows up with good news. He shows up with great joy. What are we celebrating tomorrow? Good news and great joy. What should your Christmas be filled with? Good news and great joy. What should we be talking about? Good news and great joy. Doesn't matter what you're going through. It matters who came to you. God came to you in flesh with the message of good news and great joy. I was that kid who, um, anytime my name got called on the intercom at school, it was trouble, right? It was like, Luke Cunningham, come to the office, please. And all my friends were like, oh, I wonder what he did. You know, oh, man, it's going to be a good one. And I even knew it. I was like, okay, I'm guilty. Like, even, even talking about it, I have PTSD when I think about it. This is like back when, I mean, paddling was still an option. Um, I was pretty fast, though. I was pretty athletic. My principal was kind of soft, too, so it wasn't that bad. But, I mean, it, it was just... I, <laughs> I just forgot this is online. My principal was a savage. My principal was the man, right? But I remember. <laughs> oh, praise God. Good news and great joy. Okay. My name would come on the intercom, and when it would, uh, I was always in trouble. And I remember there was this time, <laughs> don't judge me, but I was trying to stay eligible for sports, okay? And so you have to have a good behavioral streak for that. So I kind of pulled it back a little bit, and I was, I was being very, very good. And my name came on the intercom, Luke Cunningham, please come to Prince. I won't tell you his name. He's come to our principal's office. And so I was like, I didn't do anything. I, why, why am I going? I didn't do anything. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you did. I know you did something. So I show up in his office, and the first thing I said is, why am I here? I didn't do anything. Like, what do you want from me? I've actually been good. I've actually been trying around here. And he said, Luke, would you chill out? The newspaper's here, and we're going to present you with an award. I was like, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I knew that was coming. I, I kind of knew that, was, that. That's what's going on right now, Right. That's what's happening between the angel and the shepherds. The angel appears, and they were like, we're dead. What did we do? And the angel says, rest assured, I've got good news and great joy. What happens when we encounter the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord at Christmas? All fear goes away, and good news and great joy enters in. Okay, that's the first part. Let's go to number two. Number two, what happens when we encounter the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the, the, the life of Christmas? It's an alignment of worship. It aligns the worship in my soul. Luke 2, 13 through 14. So suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Isn't that funny to you? Like, that's crazy. One angel scared them, and all of a sudden, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. One angel shows up, and they're like, oh, no, I'm terrified. And then, boom, the galaxies explode, and the vastness of heaven shows up, and they're screaming, glory to God. These guys are like, what in the Disney movies happening right now? Like, what is going on around here, right? And the angels explode. They show up and they sing glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth 
to those with whom God is pleased. The only appropriate response was worship. The only appropriate response when reality set in, when life showed up, when they understood where they were and what they were in the presence of, the only appropriate response was worship. Hear me. When we leave here tonight, the only appropriate response in our soul to what happened tomorrow morning several thousand years ago is worship. It is to align the worship of our soul. Our life isn't messed up. Our worship might be messed up because worship aligns us. I, before I married Anna, I had a dog and a motorcycle, <laughs> said every single guy ever, right? Used to. And now I got a Disney Plus subscription and every Bubble Gubbies episode memorized. But anyway, uh, I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. It's Christmas. Good news. Great joy. Uh, I had a motorcycle, and I remember the first time I, I was riding it, I went to my friend's house to show him what I got. And my buddy said, hey, can I, can I ride that with you? I was like, no, I'd rather die. I would literally rather die than have you climb on here with me. That would be, no. I'm going to die. He said, come on, man. Come on, give me a ride. No, not, not happening. Finally, he convinced me. I said, there's only one rule. You cannot touch me. If you touch me, I'm going to elbow you off this motorcycle right now. I don't care if we both wreck. You're not touching me. He's like, okay, fine. So I get on the motorcycle, and I'm riding, and he's sitting on the back, and he's holding on to, like, the bench behind, right, the, the, the backrest, and he's, he's trying to just balance. I'm like, dude, you touch me. We're, we're, I'll wreck this thing. kills both. I'm not, I'm not doing this. So I'm driving, and as I'm coming to a turn, he's just trying to stay up, and I'm trying to, you know, you got to lean into these turns, right? You have to move into these turns, and I'm trying to lean into this turn, and he's, like, overcorrect trying to keep from falling, and the bike is just fishtailing everywhere. And so finally I said, man, look, you've got to get in line with me or we're not going to make it where we need to go. And guess what happened? When he started to get that lean with me, we straightened out. When he started aligning with me, we started going where we need to go. That's what Christmas does to our souls. It aligns us with worship and takes our spirit to where we need to go. Your spirit needs to align with God this Christmas season, and we make that alignment happen through worship. It's the only response. The moment they realized what they were in the presence of, the stars exploded into a vast army of angels singing glory to God in the highest. Our only response tonight, our only response tomorrow is worship. Why? Because our God saves. Our God keeps his promises, and our God is God. Let's wrap up here. Last one that happens is an absolute altering of life. Life is completely transformed. Luke 2, 15 through 20 says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Isn't that amazing? Remember what shepherds were? Shepherds were rejected. Shepherds were the filth of the earth. Shepherds had no respect. Shepherds were mistreated. Shepherds were left in pits when they were found in pits. Yet what are they doing? They're out preaching the gospel and everyone is astonished. Listen, if shepherds can preach it, you're qualified. If shepherds can preach it, you're qualified. 
God can use you. God can speak through you. So these shepherds are out preaching it, and everyone is astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God. I love this. Number one, they're glorifying, they're worshiping. But what's the second thing they're doing? That's a Greek word for making a vow. So let's, let's read it in that understanding. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and vowing to God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. They went back to the field. They went back to their sheep, but they were changed. They were totally different. There was a vow in their heart that was committed. I, I read that, and I was thinking about um, the time that I encountered Jesus, and it changed my life. And I thought, comfy, cozy, Christmas Eve, I'll just share that with you. Uh, because when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the reality of Christmas, it changes everything. When we realize our God saves, when we realize God keeps his promises, when we realize God is God, then it changes everything about us. I was an absolute, as I told you already, um, I was an out-of-control teenager, just out of control, couldn't have guessed that, right? Um, always in trouble, always, always acting up. I was just doing everything. My, my father wasn't around. My father spent half my adult life in prison, and I, I didn't have him around in my life, and it just caused this gigantic father-sized void in a teenage boy's heart. So I was just a rebellious, troublemaking fool, honestly, just as foolish as it gets. And all I did was get into trouble. And all I was trying to do was fill this, this void that was lingering in the center of my soul that was missing within me. All I wanted to do was feel satisfied. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel accomplished. I wanted to feel uh, like, like somebody cared. It just wasn't there. And I remember I was like 14 years old. I was out till, I don't know, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Got home, had been doing nothing but trouble. And my mom was there, and she had a cassette tape. Uh, yeah, right, it's a cassette tape. If you don't know what a cassette tape is, Google it. There was a time where uh, music wasn't in the cloud, right? You had, to, you, had, you had to actually carry it around with you. And so I had this cassette tape, and she handed it to me, and she said, would you just listen to this. And, and on this cassette tape was a man named Joe White, and he was preaching about God fulfilling the father to the fatherless through Jesus. And I mean, I, put, I, I went, went to my room, I tried to go to sleep, couldn't, I felt bad. So I put this in, I pressed play, and I was listening to the first, for the first time, I was hearing exactly what my soul was longing for. Salvation for me was spiritual adoption. I was like, I get it. This is, this is exactly what I want. I want love. I want to be cared. I want to have an identity that I can stand in and be strong with. And I remember I rewound the tape and I pressed play again and I folded my hands on my bed and I prayed for Jesus to become the Lord of my life. And that was the first time. I mean, I had been to VBSs and I had done different things and prayed prayers out loud. That was the first time I encountered a God who saves, a God who keeps his promises. God, who is God, met me in that moment, and I prayed, 
Jesus, I invite you to be the Lord of my life, to save me, to redeem me. And I'll never forget when I got up from there, it was different. I had a vow now. I was no longer searching. I had found what I was looking for. I was no longer broken. I was healed. I was no longer disapproved, but I was satisfied in who God had created me to be and saved me to be and redeemed me to be. And what happened was I got in the presence of God, the shepherds. I was astonished and I left changed, completely transformed. That is the message of Christmas, that God came to earth as a God who saves as a God who keeps his promises, as a God who is God. And his invitation to you is a lifetime vow of complete satisfaction in him.